Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are on that. We're trying hard to make it true, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. It's all over! Clare are the Ireland champions once again! Champions! In 95, champions in 97. They've beaten Tipperary twice in the same championship season. What a championship. They beat Cork, they beat Tip, they beat Kilkenny. Yeah, Brian, we're doing the 1997 All-Ireland Final, and that was Jerk Hanning, who had no co-commentator to help him out um, in the game. Just kind of, you know, give it, painting the picture at the final whistle. And, you know, an interesting fact that Clare won the All-Ireland that year, beating Cork, Kilkenny, Tipperary twice. What an absolutely sweet way to beat the very big top three and Tipperary, your massive rivals, um, twice on the way to doing it. Yeah, and beat them in the league as well. So they'd beaten Tipperary three times, I think it was. So they were, had massive battles with them. So it couldn't have happened in a sweeter way for all the ways they'd been beaten down through the years, particularly by Tipperary, to be able to beat them in both the Munster final and then in the All-Ireland in in an epic way of beating them, I suppose, essentially. Um, it just made that so sweet for those, you know, those people at Clare at the time. And I think, you know, listening back to the interviews afterwards and the emotion of the players and the management, it just shows how much it meant for them to actually be Tipperary in the All-Ireland definitely was and like I mean the, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible going around in the parade the whole stand like I think we need to bring flags back into Croke Park because they really you know they've, they, they've definitely died away and you know other than the hill you won't see flags there's flags in the stands it was all blue and yellow or saffron and um, saffron and blue and like I mean you're you're talking about 
two teams from Munster in the All-Ireland final, all with the same colours in Crow Park. The cheer that went up when the national anthem uh, finished was incredible. Yeah, incredible. And look, I suppose back then as well, you had the hill and you had the, the canal end and each team or each, yeah, each county had their own end per se. So there was yeah. massive colour and people were like, people were scrambling for hill tickets or canal end tickets to get inside into that, that colour. Whereas now obviously, you know, they mix up inside in the hill or, or Dublin take over the, the case of football. So yeah, back then that, that kind of two terraces lent, lent itself to great colour just by that alone and great kind of chanting and um, noise just kind of emitting from that end of the ground each. So almost like soccer. So it was a, it was a brilliant way that it kind of just set that set that up naturally, but you're dead right because when you looked when the camera kind of panned to the crowd, it was just blue and yellow. You could never tell yeah. which who was who unless you seen someone standing up or you know a particular score was um, was got. So it was a uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a savage day from from that perspective. The I think Tip had the the hill sixteen. You obviously wouldn't know that during the parade because it was all the same. But you know, in the first half when they were getting a good few of the scores that's when the hill was kind of coming alive. So they obviously got um, all their hill tickets. That The green benches, Brian, are the first big talking point of this match. And this is Len Gaynor and Ger Nan banned onto brand new green benches. Uh, that Ger went on to say the paint was wet and that's why, <laughs> yeah. he, didn't, why he didn't say it. So like, this is Len Gaynor being punished for Ger Nan's indiscretions on the field, is it? Yeah, Um yeah, if I recall that correctly, I think you're right. And Jor obviously had was infamous for for incriminating on the field and getting in there and getting among them. And I suppose kind of like the way Davy goes on as well, getting his team up up and getting them, you know, riled up and getting the crowd riled up. And you know, we've seen Jor being sent off at the end. But actually, hilariously, I don't know if you noticed this, but like Jor Nam was standing at the post for the very last point when um, yeah. James O'Connor scored it. So, you know, he was actually being put off uh, on the opposite side of the field, which would have been the Hogan stand side of the field, and was making his way back over to the Cusick stand. And here he was, you know, willing that ball over the bar. Um, by legend, he seemingly caught the ball that fell down off the, the back net. So, uh, <laughs> brilliant from Jor. But yeah, poor old Len, you know, you could see him turn on Dickie Murphy at one stage and he gave him yeah. a right piece of his mind. He wasn't impressed at all with having been told to get off the field because as far as he was concerned, Dickie was kind of making a point about it, you know? Well, that's the thing. But like, I mean, Len was getting all upset about it. And when Lachnan was kicked off the field, sure, Lachnan would go off laughing. So, like, I mean, yeah. there was a psychological battle being won by Lachnan there all over the place. Oh, 100% there was, yeah. And see, Len was probably feeling the pressure at that stage as well because Tipperary weren't in the game in the second half where, you know... You know, look, Nan knew exactly what he was doing. He was, he, you know, Tip had come roaring back into that game at that stage. And, you know, he made a very important switch because he got James O'Connor over to the other side of the field. So you can you can understand, you know, Jer's comments after the game where he was going mad with the hierarchy of the GEA, you know, that, you know, why are they trying to enforce these rules on it? And you see, I suppose the green benches were there. It lent itself to the geography of the pitch at the time because they ended up realigning the pitch in line with the Cusick stand you know, it was because of the, yeah. the, the building going on at the yeah. time, but it left a massive gap from what the where the dugouts were to where the actual side of the pitch was. So it was a it was an ill thought out solution to try and, you know, curb the managers at that particular time. Yeah. A typical Lucknan one was that Niall Gilligan starts and as the video of this match uh, starts, the camera is panned down on Niall Gilligan walking around in the parade, but RT don't have any information on this. Yeah. 
Uh, and Marty actually is the sideline reporter frantically trying to find out what's going on. He says, we were never told. And then they were told Fergal Hegarty has the flu and Gilligan starts. But Fergal Hegarty comes on then in the first half. <laughs> but I loved, I loved a bit that like every time they pan to Marty. Yeah, we know Fergal Hegarty's coming on or whoever's coming on, but we can't tell you for who. So Claire wouldn't give him anything. So it's right. just him, like they gave him like complete lies. Oh, Fergal Hegarty has the flu as well. So um, it was all that kind of gamesmanship that Lucknan was famous for at the time. And that was kind of, you know, the, the start of it, which, you know, uh, with Gilly starting because, you know, Gilly was young at the time. He was only breaking onto the scene and, and the thought process behind it, you know, which has been revealed after was Lucknan felt that he wouldn't be able for the pressure of starting in the lead up to that final. So he only told him an hour or two before the game that he was actually starting. Yeah, it's very 2013-esque with Davey and um, Shane O'Donnell. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah, so it's amazing we can see the, the parallel there between Lucknan and Davey. So while the mice uh, have... You know, Davey might model himself in Harlan Lucknan. There are certain things that he has learned from him and he has employed himself. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Ger Lucknan then the next day was given out about the Sunday game and there's some absolutely fantastic quotes from him um, here from an old Irish Times article that I found. He says, this is brilliant. I hate negativity. We should, we should, now this is, let me give the context of this. Eamon Cregan was on the Sunday game the night after the All-Ireland and, and Tomás McCatty was on it as well. And apparently, the analysis was focusing too much. We know hurling analysis is endlessly positive in general, but this night it wasn't. They picked out parts of the game that might not have been positive and Lachnan was livid that they didn't focus on Clare's unbelievable performance in the second half, which was unbelievable, but we'll get to that in the second in part two. He says, I hate negativity. We should be promoting the game in a positive way. We had everything positive in the game yesterday and to hear comments such as we did on Sunday night's television um, at the end of the year was absolutely outrageous. There was no references to, reference to outstanding quality. We were subjected to a few nitpicking things, a few negative things that occurred during the game. I thought the analysis made on RT last night was totally fair to, unfair to both teams. It was totally inaccurate and nobody I know outside Eamon Cregan that made that analysis would have done anything like that. We all know in Clare that he doesn't like us. So, so like, I mean... He was absolutely, absolutely livid. I don't, we didn't see the anal analysis, so, so we can't tell. But Gerlach Nan complaining about pundit negativity, I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was hilarious too. But he had a point because, you know, Lucknan's interview at, straight after the game, he was raving about it being a classic. And he was right because for for all intents and purposes, it was a classic. It, it mightn't have been hugely high scoring, but it was some hard hitting and it was end-to-end -end stuff and it ended in a whirlwind, you know, with Jamesy getting the point and John Latty missing the goal. So you can see why Lucknan said that afterwards. Um, and I suppose he was downbeat after hearing those comments that night. So he's not, he wasn't uh, pulling any punches when he said about the animosity between Eamon Cregan and, and, and Clare so you know I suppose Jor, if there's one thing he is he's he's honest to a fault and he would protect Clare and particularly at those stages he, he wasn't going to let Eamon Cregan away with anything negative said about that Clare team No he was great he was great uh, value back then wasn't he Lachnan you never, the only thing close to him really is Davey if we're being honest you know Yeah who, that's it yeah know, totally yeah. No problem lashing pundits out of it or creating a little bit of a stir he is like you're right about Davy. There's so much in Davy that comes from Lachnan. Oh, so much. You know, like that fiery character. You know, the protection of his players. Hates being criticised. You know, it's just he he he'll give you what what 
just enough to get by, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and the mental, the mental side of things, you know, the the the, the gaining gaining an upper hand mentally on the opposition, I think, is a big one too. Oh, a big one, and not, and look, obviously, that training regime of the Clare, you know, team of the nineties was renowned. You know, Mike Mack and the famous Hills, and you know, it's I I experienced that firsthand. But Mike Mack, he managed us and awfully. <laughs> I tell you one thing, that was horrible. But you were outrageous fit after it and very strong mentally. And Davy, while he 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 is obviously very big into mind in his players, he he pushes them hugely physically, and and you know Bill breaks down their mind to build them back up again, even stronger individuals. So you know Davy definitely has carried that side of it as well. Yeah, no, he definitely is. But come here, Brian, we'll leave it there because Ollie Baker joins us on the line now. Um, Ollie, we're talking about the Sunday game analysis on the Sunday night. Gerlach Mann said it took from the enjoyment of the night after the All-Ireland. Should we believe him? Uh, not entirely. Not entirely. <laughs> I think we, uh, my memories of us are, are faded. Uh, but yeah, there were, we certainly had a good night um, uh, that night. But I think there was there was a sense inside in there when we had the, the, the meal after the match um, or the banquet as as it was um, that we were watching the Sunday game and some of the comments weren't weren't would say normal normally those occasions are reserved where you praise everybody and praise the whole occasion and there was there was a little negativity and I kind of, there was a sense around the room that maybe geez, that was a bit out of kilter with what normally goes on but it didn't detract from our our uh, our enjoyment of the night at all it was it was a, it was an absolutely fantastic night if memory serves me right uh, we were in a city centre hotel and the, the 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 streets outside were as packed as what was inside and there was a lot of flowing in and out of the hotel and it was just it was a brilliant occasion like you know so and we were just all delighted having the result come our way so it didn't detract from us a whole pile really yeah when you when you mentioned the occasion that's one thing that stood out for me the parade the whole stands with flags the same color all Munster, all Ireland final. You'd already beaten them in the Munster final. I can only imagine at the time the hype around that game. Yeah, well, I think in fairness to 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 Lucknan, he kind of cranked up the the whole pressure from a uh, from the. From two or three weeks leading into the final, I think he has comments about the the Wexford and Tipperary um, semi final, um, and there was that built up into the whole the whole kind of uh, atmosphere that was leading up into the final, like um. Uh, First, first time ever that a team who had been beaten in the championship had come back in and were, prepare, were preparing to play in an Alaric final and could beat a team that they had been beaten by already. So there was that whole side there and then there was a the pressure on us then to, are we going to be a team that's going to be beaten by a team that we've beaten already? <laughs> so there was an awful lot going on. Um, in my, my mind-wise, uh, psychologically, there was an awful lot that you could get mixed up in and messed up, messed about in. Um, I was I was in the the Garda College at the time and uh, down in Tipperary, and would have been close with a lot of the some of the Tipperary team that were down there. And kind of you were nearly meeting each other in the corridors or, or something. You were kind of avoiding each other in case that you'd have to maybe speak about the the unspoken uh, uh, rules of engagement or something like that. So it was it was it was a real strange build up to the match. And it was kind of, I think, the hurling public in, in themselves found it a bit strange. But certainly, I know in our camp, we found it a bit strange. And were we going to be able to be as motivated as what Tipperary were going to be as motivated as coming into kind of, wouldn't you love, love another chance to, to beat a team or to play a yeah. team that had beaten you earlier in the championship? 
Yeah, so that was the, that was the big thing. Like, I mean, your second half display was absolutely incredible. I don't know what was said at halftime because, like, I mean, there was that big uh, wind in the first half. And amazingly, unfortunately for you, it died down in the second half, but it didn't stop you dominating it. Yeah, I think at halftime, really, it was, it was a time to to kind of reflect on, on what we did in the first half, but also maybe to reflect on what we said we were going to do coming into the game. And we knew that Tipperary were going to bring a massive thunder uh, to, to, the, to the final, and we wanted to be able to, to hit that. We didn't play very well in the first half. We had, I think, three or four bad wides that could have gone into scores. And fortunately, just before halftime, Gilly got a couple of scores to kind of to, to bring us to bring us back into the game a, a, a bit on the scoreboard. And kind of only for that, I'd say we could have been facing maybe a six or seven point uh, deficit at halftime, which probably would have been uh, too much. But kind of kept the back to four points and then straight off the bat, Liam scored a point in in uh, in second half. Kind of gave us that momentum straight away. But in the dressing room at half time, it was like we spoke to each other. We, there was no roaring or shouting or saying this, but we kind of knew like we weren't going to win the game unless James O'Connor was going to play an awful lot better than what he did in the first half. So he would have been told that and he would have admitted it and recognised it himself as well. And we knew um, uh, in, our, in our forward line that they were going to have to contribute more to the scoreboard and they would have been told that as well. So areas that we needed to improve on, we were going to, to manage and uh, and try and get improvements there. And uh, we just went out and like we would have had a, a serious confidence in each other to say that if we made those commitments to each other like that, that we would have generally carried them out. And, and that was maybe a strength of that team. And particularly on that day, like there was a calmness about what we were doing, but we still at the same time needed, it needed to be done and we just went out and did it. That was interesting that you told um, Jamesy that uh, he had to improve because how he, he could go from having such a quiet first half to having such a brilliant second half, you know, it was some transformation for him. Yeah, well, I think certainly the experience we had in the 95 All-Ireland really stood us. Like, we were still a very young team in 97. Um, uh, but the experience of 95 really stood to us in that the 95 was just such a whirlwind and just kind of like everyone was just floating along a wave of emotion really and and it was just it was absolutely brilliant but you didn't really stop to think that geez, this could all go wrong like it was just everything was just so brilliant uh, the whole year and everything went for us and all the rubber to green went with us in, in nearly every match that we played and then you turn around afterwards and you just kind of say well geez, we didn't actually play that well and we can play an awful lot better and I think that's the attitude we took at half time and Jamesy by his own admissions uh, uh, said after the 95 All-Ireland final that he didn't have a good game um, and kind of like you know I know that that would have played in his mind uh, and so in at half time, kind of maybe uh, a reminder was made of him that kind of this can't be like ninety five again. We can't be inside here wishing we played better after a game when we have an opportunity to do it during a game. So let's go and do it. And kind of but and you can see the difference in the second half was James's performance in the second half transformed our forward line completely and for his ability to get scores from play um, coming on to break and ball and then being at the at the at the would say at the vital the vital area of the pitch at the right time was was the reason that we won the game. So like it was an important time for us to to regather our thoughts and and if we didn't have James O'Connor playing well we weren't going to win the game. We all knew that. Jamesy knew that, and and probably Tipperary knew that as well. And they kind of corralled him a small bit in the first half, but uh, they weren't able to to hold him for the full for for the full seventy minutes. 
you, you mentioned Niall Gilligan just to, before half time, huge, and he was such an inexperienced player, and um, he wasn't down to start. And it was funny listening to the commentary. I was watching it yesterday. Marty Morrissey um, was saying RT weren't even told about it, so this was kept as, as top yeah. secret until, until Gilligan starts walking in the parade, and nobody knows what's going on. Typical Lockman stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we we weren't even sure ourselves. Um, uh, I think it was only mentioned to, to uh, the players themselves, the two or three players who were involved in that switch. Um, like you know, um, what, uh, and the morning of the match, or maybe mid afternoon, uh, or mid morning um, uh, before the game. So it was certainly something that we weren't planning for. Um, we didn't know the team on the Friday night. It was it was kind of rolled out maybe on Sunday, Sunday uh, as we were preparing in the hotel before we went to the to, to the pitch. But it was um, look at it, it played off. It played brilliantly for Gilly. I think he had a quiet first twenty minutes, but then he yeah. turned it into the game and he got two great points before half time. But he got a he got an, a, a brilliant point in the middle of the second half as well where himself and Paul Shelley were, were fighting for, for the yeah. ball and he managed to overpower him inside the full forward line which is something that we weren't getting in the first half that we were managing to win and to retain ball inside the inside forward line in the in the, in the the second half and that point when he was under severe pressure was just massive and and kind of like he came of age that day in, in, many, in many means uh, and it was it was um, like I think it was three points from play he got uh, which is a fair return uh, for a young lad in uh, in an All Ireland final. Yeah, and he moved. I think he moved across corners onto Shelley because Shelley had been cleaning up early on in the first half. Shelley was a hardy looking hooer now, uh, a, a pure, yeah. <laughs> you know, a pure corner back in the stereotypical sense of the eighties, nineties. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he. I think Gilly was on Michael Ryan, and uh, Tuts was. Um, was taken off and Hagel came on and uh, Gilly moved in over to Paul Shelley and it kind of there was a good bit of good bank of space out in front of him and I think he exploited that um, uh, by taking by taking um, uh, Paul for for a few jogs out around that area and uh, he wasn't able to to hold him but uh, Gilly being a good strong mobile forward uh, able to win his own ball when he went in um, but Michael Ryan had him tied up a good bit like um, and then when he went over to the other side kind of the, the whole play opened up for him as well a bit and it kind of suited him but kind of changes like that that was a kind of a maybe it was the taking off one player being taken off opened up an opportunity for, for Gilly but it was maybe the, the whole intention of the substitution was to have another effect but this was a consequence of it so but it was it was interesting because really tactics weren't really a whole they weren't really part of the whole game back then um, as much as they are now maybe but yeah. it was um, it was it was interesting because that you needed all your forwards inside competing for ball there was so much ball went into your forward line um, that you had to be the ability to win your own ball was was nearly more important than whether you were a skillful or a scoring forward uh, you had to win the ball lay it off or or put the head down take the scores. Um, and um, in fairness to Gilly, Gilly produced uh, certainly for uh, for that match as well as did the other lads and particularly in the second half as well Yeah they definitely did Lachnan was up to his tricks before the game because himself and Len Gaynor were banned from coming in on the pitch there was a there was a green bench put out um, at the side I think they were banned to the dugout and then a compromise was was made that they would be sitting yeah. on these 
uh, green benches, but sure, neither of them lasted any length in them at all. Yeah. They're like coming in, coming in on the field, talking to players. But like, I mean, do you remember that being a benefit to you? What would he be coming in to say? Like, I mean, I suppose you uh, there would be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it was very important that you kind of got the message um, uh, in from the sideline because like, he he had an overview of what was going on in the match, and he he like he was he was excellent and uh, at reading the game and having an understanding as to when a player was hot and if a if a defender maybe was was kind of under a bit of pressure to apply the ball into into him. So like halfway through the second half, we kind of made a tactical switch when brought on David. Forward, and instead of him going in as the orthodox corner forward, he roamed out around the middle, the middle of the the, the forward between the sixty-five and the forty-five, and that had a huge effect on us. Uh, that it opened yeah. up our play uh, hugely, and so he had to come out and like you know, try, like you know, get that message across, uh, particularly across your half back line and your midfield, because otherwise we were just going to keep beating the ball in top of Michael Ryan, who was going to be turning on his own. So if he didn't come across and tell us that this change had been made then sure gotcha. like we were going to lose the game the, 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 the whole the whole strategy was, was pointless so like you know as a result of of of, of uh, maybe their um, indiscipline in sitting on the bench provided for them the um, <laughs> The where Ferna was born, and you had these runners coming in and out of the the pitches after that who were delivering the messages. But there was nothing like it. There was a difference between if if Mike Mack or Tony Constantine came in to deliver a message and Lochnay came in to deliver a message. There were two totally different ways you take the message. One was <laughs> you're getting it from 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 the top, and the other is you're kind of really this. Maybe it's important, but maybe not the most important message you could get. So it was uh, it was vital part of it. And I remember sure Lynn was running across you as well and you'd be trying to he'd be getting a message out to the I was Mark and Tommy Dunn on the day and kind of you'd be trying to give him a message and you'd be trying to listen to what that message was as well and kind of so you'd have your bit of bit of crack around that uh, as as it'd be going on as well. So but it was all part and parcel of the game and the pageantry of the whole thing really as well. Uh, it was. It was great. It was great uh, kind of drama. But uh, the referee t- sent both managers off at one stage. Told them to get off the field, and Len got all ticked. He was given out, and you know, gesticulating at the referee. And Lachnan just walked off smiling. He was well used to this being yeah. kicked off. Kicked he off. Was, you see, yeah, but sure, he was. He was. But that was half the half the battle as well. Was. Uh, a psychological battle that if you won the psychological battle you were in their heads once you were in their heads then you could control what they were thinking was kind of would have been the the, the mantra from Lucknan all the way through so kind of how are we going to get into their heads and if that was him running onto the field upsetting the opposition manager then that was a win so uh, and 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 it, it played it played out perfectly for him because he nearly had the whole authorities um, uh, singing to his tune for a finish you know yeah, yeah, exactly. Come here, you got a huge, huge score in the second half because it came straight away after Eugene O'Neill's goal, which uh, mm. would have put Tipperary one up, right? And it wasn't actually caught on TV. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see it yesterday because they were showing the replays of Eugene O'Neill's goal. What, did you catch the puck out and stick it over? Or no, the ball um, came down onto the dip half back line. I think it was... I think it could have been Colin Bonner batted the ball out and I just broke onto it. Um, uh, the breaking ball came onto it and 
just uh, I had uh, I had uh, my own vision uh, was that the whole play was after opening up and that I should carry on and and maybe be the hero and go for goal or something like that. But uh, I think the wisest option was just to get us get the scoreboard back level again and put it over the bar. But it was it was just the way the ball broke and, and kind of was quick and over in the flash and it was um, happy enough to see it going over the bar uh, as it was at the time considering we had some dreadful wides in the in the second half and we had played all the hurling in the second half and to find ourselves one point down coming near the end of the match was was kind of geez, it's going to pass us by again you know that's why that score was so big Ollie because you didn't have a chance to be down you were immediately back level and it wasn't a, you know as big a disaster like if he yeah. had two or three minutes they're trying to chase a draw it was a lot bigger than right game on who goes to win it yeah, yeah, but I still would have fancied ourselves um, just the way the game was. There was a bit of we kind of knew what we were about at that stage, and I felt we we come from a hurling point of view. We kind of had the measure, had the measure of of tip uh, at that period of time. The two goals they got were there were really one was a long ball in that Tim Cahill caught in on the edge of the square and kicked to the net, and the other was a ball that came out back off the upright. So it wasn't that they were creating a whole pile. Um, like we were still doing all the hurling albeit we were still down a pint but there would have been a confidence about us that said no just stay what you're doing lads and, and kind of this will work out and I think it was it was that kind of getting the score yeah for sure it was important but I think probably with the two or three minutes that was left in the game we were probably going to get another score anyway whether we'd have got a second score on top to, to win the game or we'd have been going for a replay uh, we, we, no one knows but um, yeah it was just look at thankfully it went over and didn't the next score it was next score wins uh, as you would be playing in all the training matches you'll be doing um, that's the way it was It was we, we, that's the way we always finished our games anyway which was next score wins um, and um, thankfully um, the ball broke to the right man in the right place at the right time Yeah no it definitely did it was 97 sweeter than 95 then you beat Cork Kilkenny Tipperary twice on the way to winning it I know the, the first one is always special but 97 um, you know a second half performance like that against Tip must have been nice you know yeah, I, I I think when when you, when you look at what we what we had to to do to beat all those teams, um, and kind of we would have always um, and and still would say to this day that when you play against Cork and and taping Kilkenny, you're 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 I'd say straight off the bat you're about four or five points down because of their tradition. So you have to be a four or five point better team than them just to break even with them because yeah. you're 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 at that you're at that stage and kind of so we would have always approached it that we were severe underdogs going into all these matches and we really would have to like every ball was crucial, every every contest was crucial. There was no waiting for the next ball and it'll be okay then it was kind of like we were we were really kind of dancing on a pin uh, for all those matches and to be able to peak for those matches um, all the way through the season was kind of like it was a, a, a real testament to the training that, that Mike Mack and the physical conditioning that, that we were in through Mike Mack and then from the hurling point of view that I think our hurling had improved immeasurably from 95 to 97 so it was a far more enjoyable experience playing hurling because we were a lot more expressive in, in what we were doing um, as, as well and getting better scores and having a, a, there was a more of a, a return coming from our forward line as well from play um, and were playing with a lot more freedom so I think 97 was more enjoyable more satisfying 95 obviously was, was brilliant but as you say we were so inexperienced to, to any of this it was all completely new 
to 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 all of us. So ninety seven was we were kind of going in with our our eyes open uh, and we kind of knew what to expect and to have come out the right side of it. Then then was just was really fulfilling. Yeah, one thing before I let you go, Ollie, is like uh, what jumped out at me in the game. I don't know because if, if it was because of the win, but most of Davies' puckouts were landing on you or Colin Lynch, and like I mean, you were dominant in midfield. And I don't know, like that was back in the day where there were good midfield battles. Now it seems to be half back line mm. versus half forward line battles. Was it starting to change in around that time, or um, am I am I reading? Probably around two thousand and one. I think um, was there when, when that, that Cork team came along, uh, they really changed Everton and started running the ball out from the back. Um, that's just changed Everton and started playing percentage ball up into forwards. Which, <laughs> when you look back at the, certainly in the '97 and, and any of the games around him playing percentage ball into forward was kind of like isn't it on your half of the field? Um, uh, so go win the ball. But it's um, so it, it kind of changed and and then kind of the role of the midfielder. Uh, changed uh, after that, and it it became much more of a a kind of a you had to be able to to be very good in possession and to be able to to set up play and have a huge engine that you were going to be able to get from your one forty five to the other forty five and to be able to to put the scores up and like Jerry O'Connor probably was the the greatest exponent of the of that as as a midfielder. Um, yeah, like a link and, man. And, 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 Oh yeah, and and like that just changed the game. But but every like every like you go back through the history of the game. Um, that in every generation there is a player who who kind of transforms or a style of play that transforms from one era to another. Like uh, the first time, I think it was in '86 that uh, Sir Farrell brought in Anthony Cunningham out from corner forward as a third midfielder when they were playing uh, Kilkenny in the All Ireland semi final, and Kilkenny didn't know what to do. But in the All Ireland final, thing, Cork figured it out. So it kind of went away for a while. But every now and again, it would come back again, maybe for a, for a nice match. But what changed in come from the from the the two thousands onwards was that this is who the teams came out identified themselves. This is who we are. This is what we do, and we're going to try and beat you at that. And it's up to you to try and stop us. And every team developed their own identity, be it a a running game or be it a was it Kilkenny, which would have been kind of win your own ball style, or would have have been kind of what they what they would be doing um, because in, in in Cork with with passing the ball out through the different um, the different lines or maybe going in into as what Clare did in 2013 uh, playing with sweepers and this is what we want to do every day we go out so kind of the game evolves and, and that's a good thing about the game um, but as I say as we just started off about the, the neg- negative commentary that was uh, in the Sunday game. Uh, after the '97 uh, final, we say every time the game has changed, it has been met with negative commentary. First of all, to say that yeah. they're ruining the the standards of the game and all that, but the game evolves, everything evolves, and it's like you know with the amount of coaching that's been done now, the skill level the players have, the fitness levels, the strength and conditioning that's going on with all the players. Of course, the game is going to change. It's never, it's never going to see the same as it was in the '50s or the '60s or the '70s, into the '80s. That changed into the '90s. It changed, and now it has changed, and it's. Going to continue to change, um, which is only a good thing, I think. Um, yeah, and it's going no. to make sure it's going to keep it alive. And if it if it didn't change, and we just had you just had your uh, Tipperary and Kilkenny uh, battling it out every year for another Ireland final, so I mean, like half the country is going to tune out of that. So it has to change and it has to evolve. And I think everybody, every, anybody who is open to that is going to be part of it. But if you're close-minded towards it and just 
living not living in the past so much but living in a kind of a, an era that's kind of well what what used to do uh, back then will do now you're just going to get left behind exactly Ollie thanks very much for taking the time for us very good Ollie I'd never be allowed to go off in eight and have a shite like him and you know, a slob or whatever like I was always doing a bit I remember, All I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered on the way in there I threw the ball up in there I don't know it was, it was pure luck no in fairness pure luck I put fucking bullshit as you see yourselves So Clare 20 points Tipperary 213 um this was a great game, I thought, uh, Brian. I really enjoyed this, and I thought the quality was a lot higher than the 96 final the year before, but obviously conditions in the 96 final probably led to that. But I thought this was a very, very enjoyable game. Frantic at times, and uh, some great scores in it. Yeah, brilliant. And I suppose, like, the first half was tight and tense, and, you know, there was some fair hard hits in it. And at the very start, John Latty seemed determined to hit anything in a yeah. in a yellow and blue jersey. And he took some fair thumps himself. Sean McMahon caught him a couple of times with some wild pulls, and um, he, he took some hardship. But Latty had some first half as well. You know, he, he sniped three points and won a couple of frees as well. Um, himself and Declan Ryan were doing a lot of damage in that half-forward line. So Tip were totally commanding that first half you know probably should have been further in front only four points probably wasn't enough and then we just saw a second half masterclass I thought from Clare and you know Tip barred the two goals which both of them were against the run of play you know didn't really make any inroads in that Clare defence at all Yeah it's, it's wonder. It's weird how it was such a turnaround because like I mean the wind completely died down like I was saying to Wally like Davy Davy Fitz's puckouts in the first half now maybe this was a tactic because he wanted to drop him on Ollie Baker and Colin Lynch because Ollie Baker is such a commanding presence but Davey was dropping him right into midfield Brendan Cummins in the second half was still hitting the half forward line yeah well sure look obviously Brendan had an unbelievable poke of the ball but yeah. sure I suppose Davey did too well, and I, actually when I think about it, they both won the, the puck fodder so we can't accuse them not having good puck outs so maybe you're right maybe there was a, a sense of knowing what they're at and maybe the two midfielders were dropping onto the half forward line and making themselves available for these puck outs um, it's always hard to tell when you're watching it on, on camera you'd have to be there to really properly analyse that but the two boys in midfield I thought they were brilliant Colin Lynch and uh, Ollie Baker they had, yeah. they had a right battle with their two midfielders but I think the pair of them probably just shaded. Tommy Dillon, you know, popped up with a couple of points. Connor Gleeson got one for tip, but didn't hit a lot of ball, where I thought the two boys were were absolutely excellent and kept them in, in the game, particularly in that first half. Um, so, yeah, like the half-forward line probably were, were more, you know, sniping around. Um, James O'Connor was being well-marshaled by Connell Bonner in the first half in particular, but he got off that wing and got a, you know, two or three points. And you could see the relief in Jamesy in particular because, you know, Jamesy was their star forward and particularly in 95, but he didn't have a good All-Ireland against Offaly in 95. And he only got a couple, two points, I think it was. I think Derek Hanning referred to it there at one stage and he didn't, I don't think he scored from play. So that probably, you know, frustrated Jamesy to a, to an extent while obviously delighted to win All-Ireland. We all know it's not the same if you don't hurl, um, or, you know, brilliant yourself. You know, you maybe feel you didn't, 
put your kind of shoulder to the wheel in terms of winning it. But, you know, Jamesy, you could see the relief when he got that first point. He kind of got a lot looser and shrugged off Conal um, Bonner. And, 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 you know, eventually he was the one, he was the difference. He got that masterful point at the end. And I remember being a kid um, and practicing that score until the cows came home. I swear to God, just practicing, hitting that ball on the run. I, I just used to watch Jamesy all the time. I loved his point scoring um, abilities. And I, I swear to God, I spent hours out in the garden practicing that point on the run. Yeah, I have it etched in my memory as well, watching that point live, thinking, geez, that's an incredible point on the run. I don't know, is it, was it, like, it's nothing unusual technique-wise now, but back then that was a huge skill to be able to do it at the pace he was doing it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, and it, it, like you know, that was his weaker side as well off his left side. But it is easier to strike the ball on the run on on that side, you know, cutting across yourself, and it was a brilliant score. Um, and and you know, you're right; it's one of those iconic moments, and and what a way to win All Ireland. But I was delighted for James as well because he, you know, he was he he was a brilliant hurler. He was so. You know, he was so clean in the way he went about his business and just, as I said, he, he was the poster boy in terms of their forwards. Um, they had big characters, obviously, but, you know, it, it was great, to, as, I, as I said earlier, it was great to see him that kind of monkey off his back and just kind of let his shoulders back and, and just let himself go in that second half. And I thought he was brilliant in, in particular in that, in, in that second half. Yeah, it was De- it was Declan Ryan and uh, John Lahey who really got tip into it in the first half because Clare had made an all right start um, you know, in the game, but it was Declan Ryan kind of winning ball. He was a monster of a man. He definitely got the better of Shawnee McMahon in the first half, and then Shawnee changed it around in the second half. But he was laying it off to Lahi. Lahi was sticking him over the bar, and Tip got to a point where they were nine three up. And looking at that game live, you're like, Tip won't be beaten three times by Clare this year. Yeah, and with all the tradition that Tip have as well, you know, you would have thought they're in the driving seat here now, they're going to they're gonna close this house. But I suppose this is a matter of respect to how good this Clare team were. You know, they, yeah. they came close to winning three All-Irelands out of four. Like, they, they really were an exceptional team, an exceptionally strong-minded team. And I think where the game changed was just after half-time, Liam Doyle coming out and getting a point off John Latty. Because you're right, yeah. John Latty run a muck in that first half and Liam Doyle was chasing shadows. But to go out and score the point he did, you know, straight on the resumption, I'm sure he got some mouthful or earpiece off uh, Sherlock Nan in the dressing room at half time. But by God, he he put his stamp on the second half and he was excellent in the second half. I think there's one thing, you know, those two boys in the tip half hour line were excellent. There's a couple of talking points from Tipperary's perspective. One was Lee, Lee McGrath starting. I'm not sure if it was his debut, but like it was obviously his debut all Ireland. Starting on Anthony Daly, their captain, their one of their main talisman, you know, yeah. he was probably licking his lips seeing this happening. Kevin Tucker had troubled him in that Munster final. He'd nipped him for three points. And, you know, that's the type of hurler Daly didn't want to be coming up against, whereas, you know, a big, tall, rangy lad is exactly what Dalo wanted. So that was a strange decision. And then Liam Cal was probably the other one. You know, Liam Cal was an all-star in 1996 and he broke onto the scene in 96. And, he, like, you know, he was kind of a real, like, you know, kind of cocky, kind of surefire, you know, kind of hurler. He did collar up. You see him there when he came on, he got the goal straight away. So he was, you know, he was kind of cock of the hoop. And, you know, we've seen them too a penny in, in Tipperary over the years. But, you know, there was something about Liam Cal. He had that X factor. And for him not to be, you know, starting and only coming on as a sub... Maybe it lends obviously Len Gaynor knew more and maybe what was going on in training, but you know, there's you know, a couple of things where we see that tip forward line maybe fading out a little bit and 
Skippy Cleary was coming Michael Cleary was coming towards the end of his career certainly wasn't a corner forward he'd snipe for a couple of points but you know he wasn't as dangerous as he maybe was on the wing where he was able to break onto ball and, and snipe maybe three or four points so you know you had a lot of stuff going on there as well from, from a Tipperary perspective yeah, mentioning Dalo, Aidan Ryan went on him in the second half and gave him plenty of trouble. Um, kind of one one of the more nippy type of uh, faster players. Yes, yeah, the Aidan Ryan obviously was another man that was you know he was he was well on in his career at this stage, but he was wholehearted. Yeah, you know, he 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 went into everything and got stuck in and drove straight at defenses. You know, he was so hard to handle, and you're right, he gave Taylor lots of it. Actually, speaking of that, Liam Cal came on and gave Taylor a right clip. Did you see that one? As the ball was going no. out over the sideline, um, the ball was gone, and Liam Cal and Taylor, there was no way they were getting to it right over in the Hogan Sand side. Liam Cal pulled anywhere, you know, and the ball was about three yards away. So Dickie Murphy came over and gave him an owl. A uh, wag of the finger and a smile, but uh, in fairness to Dalo, he could have lettered him back, but he just uh, kind of got on with it. Yeah, uh, what did you make of Sparrow? Sparrow didn't have one of his better games. He's some terrible misses for one of the, you know, their most important inside forward. Like, I mean, obviously, um, he got a very, very good one on the run in the second half, but he had a couple of bad misses at important times. And it was actually, like Ollie uh, Baker was saying there, it was uh, Gilligan just before half time got two in a row. And yeah. tip went from 9-3 down and it went in 10-6 down, which was a huge kind of uh, talking point. And the thing was, it was they swapped the corners. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Gilly got over from 13 over to 15 and that he sniped the two points off Paul Shelley because Paul yeah. Shelley had started really, really well and was had thundered into that game. And you know the way Paul was, he was, you know, he was laughing at his marker and just driving it into them and he was loving every every second of it. He was, carrying, Gilly, he was carrying a bit of timber too, Shelley, was he? <laughs> he always longer. carried timber in fairness to him. Sure, like, you know, he went up, he went up full forward then, you know, a yeah. couple of years later and had a right battle with Brian Lawton and and. Dave Davy fit, so you know that was the way Shelley was. <laughs> he kind of got away with it back then, but um, you know, Gillies. I think Ollie's one hundred percent right there. It was definitely it was something you know you, you can remember that Gilly getting those two points for such a young player in that first half changed it. But Sparrow had missed. I think you're right that miss Sparrow had missed one straight in front of the goal off his right inside. You know, it was a real just tap over point, and he struck it real awkwardly. He kind of struck it inside himself, and it was a poor, poor, poor wide. And then, as you said, he scored a cracker in the second half. When, when things were starting to run for Clare yeah he, he really I think it was the same when you were talking about where he won a ball and he'd actually turned inside his marker and he could have continued could have stayed going and he chose to shoot from a, 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 a you know not as good an angle on the right hand side when he had the whole pitch in front of him like I mean he didn't seem to be playing with much confidence no he certainly didn't so like look Shelley had you know maybe uh, you know he was under pressure Michael Ryan Shelley they were, they were dominant in, in at that stage you know what I mean so yeah. the, the whole Tipperary backline more really in, in, in particular so yeah maybe he, he just hadn't started well and so it wasn't until ha- half time came just at the right time for Clare and they got in and settled and you know they just changed around that second half belief as much as everything else they changed around I had to like Shelley and Gilligan like Gilligan was only a young fella but when he got I think it was his first point he wasn't uh, shy to tell Paul Shelley um, about it so like Shelley was obviously a good trash talker but Gilligan Gilligan was well able to do it too because when Gilligan got his point in the second half he decided to give uh, Michael Ryan an earful and it wouldn't say Michael Ryan 
would have been into that kind of stuff. Ah, uh, he was so riled up, yeah, because the camera yeah. just panned him, and obviously he was there and he was giving it loads and he was shouting and roaring and he stayed out for a good thirty seconds. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. he really got caught in the camera for that one. No, he definitely, he definitely did. So we talk about the great start to the second half. You've mentioned Liam Doyle's point, which was a brilliant point. And maybe you're right, psychologically, that was a huge moment because Lahey had been giving him um, a bit of a doing in the first half. Then Conor Clancy got one um, from a catch from Colin Lynch. James O'Connor got one of the softest frees I've ever seen um, right in front of the Hill 16 where he came onto a break and... Uh, so Conal Bonner, he, he he was accused of chopping down on him. You know, he he no more chopped down on him. Like that was in 1997. That was a, a ridiculous free to give away. Or to yeah, give. yeah, it was. Being honest, it was very considering what was going on in the game. You know, there yeah. was fair hard hitting and some fair scalps. Like and like Sean McMahon pulled two right ones. You know, there were two yellow card offences nowadays. You know, on John Latty. And actually, did you cop? Ollie Baker going for the stamp. That was something. That he went to stamp on John Latty and just missed him. Just caught him with his heel uh, yeah. in the, you know, in that second half. And if he'd have caught him, you know, Jesus, he was in serious trouble because Dickie Murphy probably turned a blind eye to the fact that he went for the stamp but didn't really get him. So um, he was lucky from that one. So yeah, 100% right. I thought that free was very soft considering what was being let go. Yeah, it definitely was. So, like, I mean, then I think Colin Lynch got an equaliser then, and then probably the big, the big substitution of the whole game was made. David Ford came on for PJ O'Connell. Now, PJ O'Connell, I thought, was hard done by in that he was looking lively in the first half, and when Hegarty came on, PJ was stuck over in the corner onto Michael Ryan, and he didn't strike me as being a corner forward, so he was taken off then. But David Ford obviously came out the field, and Michael Ryan didn't follow him. Yeah, and that was the big talking point. And yeah. look, this shows again the tactical innovation of Davy, uh, or sorry, Jerlock Nan. I said nearly said Dave Fitz, but Jerlock Nan, like he was ahead of his time. He was trying different things, and Davy Ford was another one that had caused uh, a lot of problems in the Munster final. He came on and scored one one, and you know this was a masterstroke from from Clare he came on stayed out 45-50 metres and had a very poor wide with his first touch of the ball and but then you know won a free got another score he could have got maybe three or four you know points easily so it yeah. was a strange decision from Tipperary you, you know you don't know was it Michael Ryan that stayed inside himself or was it Len Gaynor's instructions from the line to stay in and protect the house we don't know but definitely uh, it had a massive bearing on the game. And, and in fact, it was enough to kick Clare forward. And, you know, it, to all intents and purposes, it pushed them almost um, beyond reach of uh, Tipperary, apart from those two goals. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And, like, I mean, the impact he had, like, so like you said there, he was complete, the first touch he got, he was completely unmarked by, with, with a pass from James. He's standing in the half forward line. It's like, what's going on here? And I think you're right. He got that, that was why. Then he won a free after a chop down by Colin Bonner. Um, he was still completely unmarked for that one. Then he got another score after a, a block down, and then he got or he got another point. So he got two yeah. points. Yeah. Was fouled for a free, and Michael Ryan was nowhere near him. And in any of these, like whatever about the decision, surely to God, if a fella's been unmarked on the half forward line, Len Gaynor is responsible for telling Michael Ryan. Like I mean, like Ollie Baker was saying that Gerlach Nan was very, he was very uh, useful coming in. Because when Gerlach Nan made that change with Ford, he was running in telling the likes of Baker, telling all these lads, Ford is coming out the field now, stop hitting it in, Ryan will be in there as an extra man. Do you know, because Baker was saying that he obviously would 
could still have been hitting it on inside if Lachnan wasn't on his toes. So it probably does come back down on Len Gaynor. Like, I don't... No it does, level, it does essentially, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think you're right from that perspective. Like, you know, unless Michael Ryan didn't follow orders or whatever took it upon himself. But yeah, ultimately, it does fall back on the management team and Len Gaynor and, you know, Michael Doyle. So, you know, it's a harsh one to blame them on, but essentially it does. That's that's your job as management to spot these things. And maybe you might make that decision initially after the first play, you know, it's no stay inside, but... After after the damage he'd done after two or three players, he really should have been out on top of him, you know? Yeah, no, no, he definitely should. And then, like, I mean, after a complete domination by Clare, um, uh, Tipperary get the first goal. There was a hint of square ball. He definitely he was on the line of the square. So technically it is a square ball. Ah, come on, you're a forward yourself. Well, you'd have to give it to him. <laughs> no, I thought, yeah, no, I'd, I'd have let it, be honest, I'd have let it go. Brilliant catch, because over Frank Lawton, and there's probably a good few inches difference there between Liam Cal and Frank Lawton, and he got up and, and caught it really well and just swiveled and, and kicked it. So, brilliant goal, to be fair to him. Real opportunist goal. Um, you know, and it gave them belief. And then, you know, the second goal, a massive talking point, because the ball hit the crossbar and you have to remember that the crossbar was wooden at that time and it was also a plank of wood. Do you know? So it wasn't round. <laughs> so possibly come back out the way it did, yeah, really. So like, like, there's a couple of things about this. Like, that means Davy didn't have any control of it. Like, he was tapping the crossbar expecting it to go over the post, you know, over the crossbar. Like, you know, nowadays, keepers would be you know, either putting the hurl up to it to bring it down or put the hurl up to make sure it went over the bar or catching yeah. it. You know, that's what you'd expect the keepers now. The, the three options there. And it just hit the crossbar, came back down and Eugene O'Neill, quick as a flash, you know, doubled on it. Brilliant, brilliant reactions and a brilliant goal. But uh, amazingly, it was a similar type goal that won Clare the All-Ireland in 1995 against Offaly because it was Anthony Daly's 65 hit the crossbar, David Hughes' goal for Offaly, and it, it again, the same crossbar, came back down and Eamon Taff leathered it into the back of the net. Now, it did hit the ground, bounced, and, and Taff pulled on it. So it was amazing that we saw kind of a, a carbon copy of the goal two years later. Right, no, that was, that was definitely interesting. It was an interesting battle with Eugene O'Neill, and Brian Lone. Brian Lone was destroying him in the first half, winning everything coming in. And then O'Neill got a good point. For a young lad, because I remember paying attention to Eugene O'Neill. That was 96 minors. He took on Eugene Clunan. And they were both full forwards and they were both brilliant. I remember watching that myself live. And uh, just kind of those two players sticking in my head, you know, as ones for the few. I think the commentary was all over them, all over yeah. the two of them. And then he came and played senior the following year. Thought he did well considering uh, the stature Brian Lohan hadn't had in the game. He did because I think you're right. I think it was a great battle. Like Lohan definitely started well, but it's just show, look, doesn't it show what it's like to be young and and carefree and just you know hopping off the ground. He kind of felt he was very close to winning ball off Lohan and kept at it and got a great yeah. score as you said and you know but I suppose over the 70 minutes Lohan probably did say that he came out with probably just way too much ball for a finish particularly in that second half but uh, the trademark clearing some Lohan just getting yeah. it and lording it down the field and the big roar from the from the crowd they loved it so it was uh, it was definitely Lohan's day and the helmet came flying off at one stage and nearly stopped the goal of its own it was like the beach ball for Liverpool and Sunderland um, you know I can nearly got in the way um, and, and Tipperary had half a goal chance but went out for a 65 but the difference the difference what made Brian Lohan such the legend that he was is that 
he was a big dominating fullback. But my God, he was agile. You look down the other end, the fullback, you know, it was a Sheehy who was fullback. Yeah. For, and and like, he looked like your kind of clumbersome, big, tall fullback. But Lohan had the agility of a wingback, but he was just a monster of a man. You know what I mean? That, that, that He was just a completely unique uh, player in any era. Oh, he was just exceptional. You know, he, he really was. Like, he was the, the standout fullback at the time, along maybe with Kevin Keenan. But he was obviously, as you said, way more athletic and way more rangy yeah. than, uh, than Keenan. And he just was excellent. He High, low, he was brilliant at attacking ball. I think that's what makes him stand out from probably all the fullbacks of that era, that he, his ability to attack the ball with such pace. You know, and... Like, look, Nan talks about him pulling his hamstring in the 95 All-Ireland, you know, with 20 minutes to go. And he's and like he indicates over, look, Nan, hamstring's gone. And look, Nan tells him, you're staying on. You know, he hurled that last 20 minutes, seem, by all accounts, with a torn hamstring. So, yeah. like, that just tells you the, the level of, like, his strength of his mindset and those clear players at the time and how much they just believed in every single thing that Gerlach Nan said. But he was absolutely excellent. I actually, it struck me about... Noel Sheehy was obviously hampered. He, you know, Jerk Hanning kind of said it at one stage that he thought he was, he, you know, there was no sign of an injury, but he, you know, he had the bicycle shorts on and he had a hamstring strap on. So he did look cumbersome. But also Colin Bonner for a centre back, you know, on a Tipperary team, he hit very, very little ball. You know, again, another man that was coming towards the end of his career. Yeah, um, but he did strike a lot of ball, you know. Yeah, he looked like a kind of a stopper hitting lads rather than actually yeah. hurling. Yeah, definitely. You know, so there was kind of a, it was an old style centre back, you know, that kind of way that it was, thou shall not pass. And he definitely hurled on, on the edge of the D. You know, he was he was protecting Noel Sheehy as well. So, you know, Claire didn't get any joy out of either of them, really. But, uh, you know, at the same time, did it, neither of them did any hurling. Yeah, no, exactly. A couple of other, other talk points. We, we talked about, um, oh, we'll talk about James O'Connor's uh, winning point. We talked about that already. You know, that came from a ground hurling stroke by Liam Sheedy. Like, I mean, at that important stage of the game, he ground hurled it, you know, straight to Colin Lynch, who passed it to Jamesy, who scored the point. We were talking up ground hurling here last Thursday for the 96. But that <laughs> definitely, Liam Sheedy was not a time to try a ground, a ground hurling stroke. No, not you see. That's what you said. The half back line is a very, very dangerous thing to do uh, in in certain circumstances. But look, I suppose that's how the game has evolved over the years, and it's mistakes like that that you know managers have picked up up on and said, right, look, you can't do that anymore. Where that was commonplace in in early nineties, eighties, and particularly before. Like you listen to Michal here and Liam Sheedy striking that ball on the ground would have been described as a brilliant strike up the ground you know like so like it's just it, it's all relative to the time you know a man like years ago I always laugh looking back at the old games a lad would take a, a shot or from 40 yards out and it would drop into the keeper's hand and it was a, a brilliant testing shot for the keeper you know like nowadays you'd be whipped off straight away so like it's amazing how it has changed on but going back to that point Colin Lynch gathered the ball clearly James he was in space and he was rushing to try and get the ball to him and fumbled it and, you know and it looked like two temporary players were going to get in and maybe dispossess him and just last second Colin Lynch gets a little flick on it and just gets it out so just you need that bit of luck too he just got the ball out into space into Jamesy and Jamesy took off and, and, and you know no one was going to catch him then and you know look we, we've said it already what a score but yeah. you need that bit of luck that I spoke about yeah, two other ones, like I was talking to Ollie Baker about, was 
you didn't even see Ollie Baker's reply to the Eugene yeah. O'Neill goal because Clare never got, never needed or had a chance to get nervous and be down. Immediately, Ollie Baker scores and he described it there. I was asking him, did he catch it straight from the puck out? Because we didn't see it on the actual yeah. coverage from the replays. And it was just a break from the Tipperary half back line that he got onto and stuck it over. Um, that was a huge, huge, huge score because now, you know, Clare had no kind of few minutes to be very nervous about being down. You know, yeah. immediately they were no, back yeah, you're 100% right. And it was, it was a massive moment in the game. And, it, you know, it was a pity it wasn't caught in the camera. But it, it did strike me at the time watching it too. It was like, what a reply. You know, yeah. just just what they needed. You know, one of their top players just stood up and got it. And just, I, look, it, it just, that's the difference. You know, you're going to win win All-Ireland or win anything, you know, county final or whatever. You need moments like that. And it, it was a massive moment. It, it just is a pity it wasn't on telly. Definitely was. Then John Lahey had a chance to win it and he completely fluffed it. This was this was not a good Davy save. This was a routine Davy save, really. And this this was a great chance from a fella like from like John Lahey who can strike the ball the way he can. We see the big thing about this, Woolly, is the fact that Lightning strikes twice and this happened almost carbon copy in the Munster final and John Lahey hit hit the ball into the ground and it was just it was a harmless shot and cleared down the field and for it to fall to the same player almost in the exact same position um, albeit maybe a couple of metres back you know I actually feel for John Lattie in this one the fact that he didn't score it you know like it would have been heartbreaking for Clare it would have been almost robbery but I, I did feel sorry for John Lattie for that to happen to him twice in the one season against the same team. And it was a decent strike. It was definitely better than the one he hit in the Munster final. Um, Davey still had to save it. You know, he got across to it really well. He, there was a bit of power in it, but the thing was he hit it into the ground too soon. It bounced maybe two or three metres away from him where he needed that bouncing two or three metres away from Davey. I guess so. The big question is, should he have tapped it over the bar? You know, I have to say, because I've always debated this myself, I've, since that day, what would I have done in a similar situation? And I, I'm not trying to say, I'm, I'm, maybe it's the difference between why I wasn't such a, a great goal scorer and I scored a hell of a lot more points than goals. I think I'd have been in the frame of mind that I'd have tapped that ball over the bar and, and tried to force extra time because sometimes you have to know what a good score is. I know you're going to be the glory man if you scored it, but for me when you're under 21 even statistically you know and this is in today's game you know only about 25 percent of shots are scored from the 21 do you know yeah. so you know to me unless he was going to carry that ball into the 14 and he looked like he was going to run into traffic if he did that i think the ball should have been tapped over and this isn't you know raining on his parade you know whatever 23 years later it's just something that always always stuck with me um that moment should he have tapped it over or not oh well i well i obviously the hindsight says that he should but i think that another player might have john lahey was never ever going to because john lahey was yeah. this maverick kind of you know star man for tipperary and i think getting carried away with the two goals just before it was probably in his mind as well. We have these lads with goals, do you know, that kind of yeah. way. All, all this is obviously flashing through his mind, you know, so... Look, and it's, it's, it's the way the ball broke out to him all of a shot as well like you know these happen and it's a look it's a, it's an instinct and it's a split second decision so I'm not Jesus you know he did what he did and unfortunately for him personally and Tipperary obviously it didn't work out but you know it's just so, to me it's just something 
you know, I was only what fourteen at the time. It is something that really stuck out to me at the time. What would you have done in the, in that situation? Um, yeah. And and look, as I said, maybe it's my mindset, and I'm not having a go at him and his decision. But uh, you know, to me, point down, you know, last couple of seconds of an All Ireland final, probably the the percentage players to put the ball over the bar. If it's any if it's any consolation for him, Claire would have won it in the in the extra time anyways because there would have been no extra time. There would have been a replay. That's been a replay. There's been a replay, right? Okay. Well, who knows what it would have? Listen, we can, we're not we're not going to go down the road of predicting <laughs> who would have won the replay. Claire, we'll come back with performance of the weekend. Great stuff. You can't touch this. A few weeks later, they played Phil Kenny below in Nolan Park. The same year, and oh, they were being hockey. But the camera went in. There was a fellow warming up. Jesus, you should see him. Yeah, that fuck. He was massive. Legs, ass, belt. But I burst out laughing. There he was, the epitome of what I said. I told you, homeboy, you can't touch this. Yeah, that's how we living, and you know, you can't touch this. Okay, performance of the weekend, uh, Brian. And well, I'm just going to stick Declan Ryan in here because he was outstanding in the first half. And a talking point that we forgot to mention was a point that he potentially got in the first half that was was waved wide. What did What did you think of that? I thought I rewound it twice, and it, it looked like it had uh, gone a little bit to the right, and and it was actually a wide. I, I was reading online some Tipperary people saying that they had a point ruled out. Yeah, jeez, wouldn't you love for Hawkeye? Um, yeah. Hard to tell, really, to be Very hard to tell, because it was one of those, and look, if you're a forward, and I'm sure you've done it, and I've done it a lot of times, the hand to be up, score. He, didn't it. he said nothing. Declan Ryan just accepted uh, this decision. Well, I think then that tells it all, really, doesn't it? Because right. it looked, and I'm the same as you, I rewound it, and I remember doing it at the time as well, Like it looked like it came in too late. Do you know, it was one of those real debatable ones, but fairness to the umpire he was adamant there was no swaying it because Dickie Murphy went straight in he maybe thought from out the field it could have looked like it was over the bar and the umpire was adamant so there was as you said I think Declan Ryan's kind of body language and everything kind of maybe gave it away but I think uh, the, the kudos have to go to the umpire from that particular case because he was he was just sticking to his guns and that was it that's that's kind of what you want from your umpire there's nothing worse than a, a watery decision being made an umpire looking at the other lad going here bail me out I'm not really sure here um, but he was right under underneath it and he had a great view of it yeah no he definitely did Ollie Baker another uh, nomination I would say Ollie Baker Niall Gilligan and James O'Connor were probably the three nominations that night. Maybe Brian Lohan might have uh, snuck in there, maybe between Brian Lohan and Niall Gilligan um, to get the third one. But Ollie Baker and James O'Connor were two standout players, I thought, for Clare. Ollie Baker, brilliant the whole way through and had that huge moment in replying to the goal, dominated uh, the puckouts in the first half. Even though, funnily enough, Tommy Dunn had a very good game as well. It's the mad that is kind of back in the day where you play your game and I play my game, and let's see who's more effective. Yeah, and I'd love to see possession or the stats on on Ollie Baker because it it did strike me after about twenty minutes the amount of ball he was after hurling. You know, oh, first yeah. first time winning ball, just moving it on, letting fly in the ground. You know, catch and strike, whatever. He just hurled the world of ball, and you know, and got those couple of scores as well. And he he was he was a real tour de force in 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 that first half in particular. And, and as you said, then stood up when they really needed him in that second half. So. 
brilliant performance uh, from Ollie Baker. And, you know, as I said, I think between the two of them, they definitely shaded midfield because while Tommy Dunn hit up with the ball, I didn't think Conor Gleeson had, had, had much of a, an impact on the game. Um, but yeah, Jamesy then as well, obviously, just the first half, he was well marshaled by, by Conal Bonner because Conal Bonner was a brilliant man marker and a real stylish kind of a wing back. But as I said earlier, I just think Jamesy, when he got that first score, just the shackles were off and just got three brilliant scores and won a couple of frees and hit his own frees really well also. He just always well, looked like he was going to no, score but now, that you, now that you mention it, he took a free on 30 minutes. I have it down here in my notes and he nearly missed it. He put it so low. Um, and that was when he was playing terribly in the first half and then he started putting his hurl up like he broke it hitting the free do you remember that one it was it was it was uh it wasn't very convincing free no it wasn't but sure look when when like when he, he was as you said he was quiet in that first half so people say frees are great to get you into the game um and being a free taker and all that i actually I don't really agree being honest um, you know freeze if you're not in the game can be more pressure than anything you know you're going over there and you're going jeez I really need to score this holy shit and yeah. it's all about your own self talk so sometimes when you're not in a game there's nothing going to settle you like a scoring a pint from play you could score nine pints in a row from freeze but until you score that pint from play you wouldn't settle down and say right I'm in the game myself here it's all about points from play, really. When 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 it comes down to it, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, because like, because I hear that all the time. Oh, freeze will settle you. They'll get you into the game. I don't agree at all. You know, and th- that's why we were t- we were talking on the show a couple of weeks ago, where you know they were taking the changing the advantage rule. You know, without officially being the law or their interpretation of it, like you know, give me the chance of scoring from play, like, and that doesn't matter whether you're the free taker or you're the, you know, the non-free taker. You want your score from play. That's it. We all check the, we all check to see whether a lad scored from play or not. Oh, you do, you do. You see somebody with twelve points and immediately you scan to say, are they twelve frees or did he get anything from play before I start giving him credit? <laughs> That's but, a fact. But the, the James O'Connor, his ability to to predict where a breaking ball went. Like he was onto it in a flash. And I don't know, like, I mean, there, there's, is there an element of luck to this? Because I, I know in Gaelic football, some lads are very good at getting breaks. And like, I was always terrible at them. Wherever I'd go, it would go the other way. And I get, I get annoyed and I'd be like, right, well, I, what I'm going to do is I'm actually not going to go in there because the chances are my man will win it ahead of me. So I just said, I'll avoid this situation by me not going in and he'll stay out of it with me. And then, you know, like imagine in hurling when two lads are going up for it especially where they used to wild pull back then, like we were talking about last Thursday, sure this ball could drop anywhere. Anywhere, and still to this day, it's the exact same, Mully. It's just, the the key thing is probably trying to hit breaks at pace. It's yeah. it's high risk, it's, it's all or nothing. As you said, a ball can break, and you can go left, and your man can go right, and the ball can fall to him, and you are five yards away from him, and the whole crowd's running here, the man's looking and going, what are you at? You know, your man's cleaning you, and it's just pure luck sometimes well, how, can, how can some lads if it's pure luck how can Jamesy be getting on loads of them or how can other like Paul Galvin be really good at them you know I'm always confused about this because there is an element of luck to a lot of them now there are other ones where a midfielder will just tap it down yeah, you know or, down. yeah that is different where, where, where you're reading it but yeah. I suppose like it's just it's, it's, it's hitting them at pace is probably the big thing if you can just lose your marker and you know hoping that you know 
it will break your way. And I suppose <laughs> the more often it goes back to that old saying, you know, the, the, the more often you try, the more luckier you get, you know, that kind of way. So yeah. maybe it, 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 the key to that is just keep hitting breaks because, you know, I suppose, as you said, we, and I've, I'm guilty of this as well in my own game at times is where you, you, you stop making the run for the breaks, you know, that kind of way. So maybe, maybe what allows these players to stand out from the rest is they were constantly there, you know. He, see, he seems to instead of running in for the break straight in front of it where it goes right and left or missing it, he seems to come across the break. You know what yeah. I mean? So maybe, like, it's, it's he's going to get it at some point if he's yeah. as fast as he is. Do you know, if it breaks left or right, if it breaks right, it's coming right at him. If it breaks left, he has to run a bit further to get on it. But if you go, maybe this is a good lesson for any half forward is not to run towards a break, is to be one side of it and run straight across the break. Yeah, coming across it. Yeah, he definitely... See, he was brilliant, obviously, coming off his wing. If he was at 10 and coming across, coming across the field. So, you know, it gave him an opportunity to, to maybe, you know, to get across there and win the ball, whether it went left or right, exactly. And the, and the, the beauty about that is, is that you're bearing down in goal when you do win the break, you know. But then the game has probably slightly moved on a little bit now. There's a lot more numbers in the, in those areas right now. And the breaking ball, listen, is, you know, there's a lot more rooks and stuff. So, the, you know those opportunities are, are, are maybe not there as much as they were back in the game back then. No, there's not. And like, I mean, what a lot of teams are actually trying to do, understand rooks get in around some of them, but if like for some poke out strategies, they're actually trying to isolate lads. So there, there isn't a break to be won off it really. They're hoping someone can actually win it. Yeah. Um, yeah like it, It's kind of like what we're talking about in that 2004 all Ireland where they're trying to play a ball in front yeah, of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's no breaking ball there. No, there's not as much. There's not as much fifty-fifty ball hit down anyway. So there are there are times, obviously, it is there, but it at, at usually then defenses are getting huge numbers across. The, you know, you're talking about the athleticism of players and what's expected of half half backs, half forwards, midfielders, and you're supposed to flood the area where the breaking ball is. So it's a total different mindset now and total you know different approach across the board to where, to to where the puckouts and just high ball in general that you know people are flooding the area so those those opportunities to break onto that ball in so much space are just not there yeah I need help with this performance of the weekend here Brian because it's Jamesy or it's Ollie Baker it's one of the two Jamesy poor in one half outstanding in another Ollie outstanding the whole way through not as eye-catching in the second half as Jamesy but both from the same club incidentally and Shawnee McMahon as well and those three lads they had some schedule back in the day, so they did, um, between Joseph Dora Bearfield winning, making an all Ireland Club final, then winning, the, making the, the other one the following year, and then trying to hurl with Clare as well. These lads must have been just kind of completely bollocksed, let's call Yeah, it. and like Clare were so, do- sorry, going off topic, Clare were so dominant at that time as well because their minors were really successful at the time, and the club team was really successful because Clare Castle were there. Uh, they were beaten by Borough in 94. 98 or yeah I think it was 98 I, I don't think it was yeah I don't think it was 95 I'm nearly certain it was 98 and then Six Mile Bridge were there as well around 96 so it just shows yeah, like no, there was a massive spread of clubs at the time yeah, I think so. Fairfield won it in 98 and got back into it then in 99 yeah, so it just shows the how dominant they were on on the whole scene at the, at that particular time. So, yeah, it's it you know when you look back on it, it really was a massive time for Clare Hurland, and and you know the they had a brilliant following at the time as well because like the canal end was always their end, and the, just the crowd and the bowrons and the banner roar and the whole you know 
mythology about the 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 Biddy Early curse and ninety five and it was just it was fantastic time for hurling, you know what I mean? And and Claire brought a huge amount to it at the time. The, you know, they had that kind of look nan kind of approach that the they ruffled feathers and they weren't afraid of doing that. Um but it was, you know, standing back as a neutralist still was brilliant times and, and they added a huge amount of that that golden decade of the the nineties. Uh, the day there was ninety seven. Then in after the Munster final, Dalo made that brilliant whipping boys of Munster uh, start off to his speech. That got a fair old crowd out of a roar out of the crowd um, in in Turles. So who are you giving this to, James or Ollie? Going aside with Ollie, being honest, um, just because I think he was. I'm br- Ollie too. Yeah, no, we're in agreement. Um, yeah, so like, I just think he had a, a fantastic first half. I think his stats were unbelievable, and just. When they really needed, I know James got the point to win it, but when they really needed, he stood up and got that massive score at the time. So I think I'm going to go Ali. Yeah, okay, brilliant stuff. Ali uh, Baker, performance of the weekend. Um, I didn't know at the time I would have given it to him live in in the in the phone call, but that's it. Listen, great stuff, Brian. Thanks very much again. We'll be back on Thursday and we'll review another match. We'll let you know before the show who that is. Right, talk to you. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heart, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.